Good morning. Good morning. Oh, Mr. Heath, is it bothering you very much? The heat? <laughs> no, no, I live in Thailand. <laughs> you adjust when I first went back to Thailand from living over 30 years in the UK. I, I found the heat, you know, uh, quite strong and because I was so used to my body adjusted to the climate in England and then going to live in Thailand was, I'd be perspiring even when the Thais were, said it's cold. <laughs> but then the body adjusts itself. So I never expected to be sitting with a bare shoulder like this in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yes? Rongo, I have a question. Uh, so awareness is such an important kind of term that is used. So for me, like awareness means what is going on in my mind and less so of what is going on in my body. So I want to clarify whether that is the, uh, that is correct, or uh, whether there is greater, can you elaborate more, or is it uh, I want to kind of get a little bit more kind of um, elaboration and clarification? Like awareness, you're aware of objects, you're aware of me. Or you hear the sound of the fans, uh, you know, so the senses, through the senses. And then, so that's sensory awareness through senses of objects of sense. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. And you're aware of thinking. You're bringing the awareness closer rather than going out. You're aware of your breath. We usually aren't aware of our breath unless it's we're having trouble breathing. But and then uh, aware of the the body, and uh, then awareness of the mental states, emotional states, and that awareness. Then you're 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 not seeking it going outward toward objects, but uh, you're going inward. So it becomes intuitive awareness, or then awareness of of, of just objects, Intuit, intuitive or apperceptive awareness, which is where you're aware here and now, and that's consciousness, and it's non-personal. So, like, it's important to to one of the the big prob biggest problem we all have as human beings is we're so identified with the body is a self, a separate self and we see ourselves as as limited to this form and and identified with it so consciousness is always you know we're informing consciousness always with these limitations of I'm the body I'm this person, this separate person, where in, with wisdom practices you're seeing that the body is just another condition in nature. You, you claim it through thinking, you think, you know, you believe and you think that you are the physical body. But as you begin to investigate more, observe the posture, observe the the body is a sensory form, just like your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, you know, it's a, it's a sensory form, and it becomes objective, you know, and you're the conscious, the conscious awareness, rather than a physical body. So that takes you to universal consciousness, which is Dhamma. So ultimately, your true nature is Dhamma, rather than this limitation of being a female, the age you are, your ethnic identity. These are all 
conditions that are created that we grasp, when we see, if we let go of them, we're not denying them, we're trying to obliterate them, but put them in perspective of conditioned phenomena rather than as grasping as personal identities. Because that's where the suffering arises. You're, you know, if you grasp your physical body as your personal identity, it's going to get old and then it gets sick and then it's going to die. And, and you're caught in, the, in that fear of death and, and, and uh, not wanting to be sick, not wanting pain, blaming God or blaming the environment or whatever, you know. We create, you know, we proliferate with our thoughts. But it shouldn't be like this, it should be, you know, you can imagine how you'd, you'd like to be. You'd like to be healthy and young and never get sick. But this is like natural phenomena is, is nature to arise and cease, be born and die. <coughs> so if you identify with phenomena, you're going to suffer because it's you can't even phenomena at its best is going to change. It's not going to stay there. You're not going to be permanently happy or or you know feeling confident and life is wonderful. It's going to it will change according to conditions because things arise and cease according to conditions. That beyond your control. It's like the weather. You know, the weather will change. It gets cold. You think this is like for me. This is perfect weather. It should be like this all the time. <laughs> you know, eternal spring. <laughs> Yeah, awareness of, like that, that's sending consciousness through the senses. So rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, and vijnana, sensory consciousness, going out to objects. And then, then insight, insight practices like vipassana, is, is not going out anymore, not not seeking distractions through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, but uh, witnessing. And you become aware of the body as, as an object rather than as the subject. You become aware of thoughts or emotions as objects, as phenomena, rather than as a subject of your life. So, you know, the, the I am Ajahn Sumedho is a convention, but in reality, that's, that's a creation of words, English words. And, uh, and when you're aware that you're not what you think, or you, you're, your true nature is, is perfect, Dhamma, you're not, you, you lose interest in tying yourself up with a body that's getting very old. <laughs> And with the personality or your position in the sangha, you know, you're, you know, you lose interest in 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 the world uh, that before you found interesting. But what replaces that is peace, confidence, and peace, stability. Life is beautiful, like coming across from the vihara to the. T Marquee, you know, looking at the sky, the trees, sense that you appreciate beauty, but you're not demanding that. You're not. You're just, you know, awareness allows us to to know beauty, but not grasp it. To be peaceful, because that's our true nature, rather than trying to be peaceful by controlling the situation. 
before, you know, when when I started meditation, I had I was a controlled freak. Don't make any noise. <laughs> Tell the birds to keep quiet. <laughs> and don't, I mean, you even get so so selfish. You know, somebody wears a some kind of jacket or something that makes a noise when they move. <laughs> you, you feel averse to you know. So I began to observe. You know, this kind of controlling, trying to control everything is making me you know, really self-centered and demanding the universe conform to my desires. You know, that's not what I want to be. I don't want to be like that. <laughs> where, where mindfulness is freedom. You know, the world is the way it is. Birds sing and People move and make noises, and whether it's sunny or it's rainy or cold or hot, uh, that these are we don't create suffering around it. We don't want it to be otherwise. We accept the flow of life. We're with the actual flowing, samsaric flow. You know, you're not outside it. You're not kind of just rejecting it, but you're no longer attaching to it. So in the five pandas, the Vinaya, the, the awareness that they speak of in the five pandas is the opposing force of sati, of mindfulness? Well, it's mindful of objects. You know, it's survival, you know. The, to know, to be able to see, and you know, as a separate form in the world, you know, we have, you know, we have. Uh, if we're not mindful, we we die very young. You know, so even a newborn baby is aware of its when it's hungry, when it's tired. You know, it's instinctual intelligence but consciousness in um, you know that's it, not not in the five khandas is you know that's the sensory consciousness the consciousness that is the deathless reality which is dhamma is is um, aware of sense you know of the senses so you're not you're not dismissing the senses, but you're no longer just seeking identities through identifying with the body, with with the age of the body, with your thoughts, with your emotions, memories. You're, you're dissolving that grasping identity. Because I found in in practice, you know what is it? It's, you're not denying or getting rid of, but when when there's real mindfulness, not no longer just seeking mindfulness of objects, but mindfulness of the, in this intuitive awareness. It's not separate from awareness of objects, but it it's no longer limited to just sensory experiences. You know, you're no longer bound into the sense realm just reacting to praise and blame, success and failure, happiness and unhappiness. It's, it's a transcending, you can say it transcends the world. It doesn't dismiss the world, but it, and it's the deathless reality rather than the consciousness that you, you have through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, you know, dependent, you know, is uh, rises and ceases. It's impermanent. So you can't really, you know, to live your life just to, to trying to sustain an object through seeing. You can't do it. You know, or, or hearing, smelling, tasting. All these are ephemeral, changing conditions. But consciousness deathless intuitive awareness 
it doesn't begin and end. It's it's here and now. But we we identify with the with the objects of sense, with the sense consciousness that arises through seeing. You know, we we like this or we don't like that. We you know we make judgments, value judgments about what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and things. And so we we create you know the suffering about you know we we like this and we don't like that. We want this, this is good, that's bad, this is right, that's wrong. And that's the thinking process. It's, it's, a, it's a state where you divide things according to what you think is right or wrong, good or bad. But intuitive awareness accepts, you know, it doesn't judge. It's not judgmental. It doesn't discriminate, you know, so where, but it's not saying preferring one thing over another. So in the long run, it's metta pavana. You know, when you when you reflect on metta, you know, you think metta to the angels and the devils. To, you know, it's it's embracing everything. It's not just sending metta to the saints and the angels, the arahants, <laughs> and your, your family that you love, but not the family members you don't love. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's because it's getting beyond judgment. On a personal level, we like this person better than that person, and we have views, opinions about ourselves, about who we live with, who we work with, about the government, the political system, and the world in general, about Buddhism. You know, we have preferences and opinions and views, and these are all created through thinking. You know, like Theravada Buddhism is a thought. It's not ultimately real. It, we create the words Theravada Buddhism. The Buddha never talked about Theravada Buddhism. <laughs> but they're pointing at Dhamma. And so, and that, that's another word, another thought. But it's, it's not to be grasped, it's, it's, a, it's a directional sign. To be reflected upon. So, um, my question is about perception. Um, so, I've noticed, like, in meditation, where so it's like I see it clearly. Um, let's say the mind is tranquil and it's kind of staying like, like the black hole, just or even just feeling just aware. And what I've noticed is that um, when something arises, it's um, any object, let's say you hear the birds chirping or something, there's the point where you just hear the sound, and then there's that moment when you say it's the birds chirping, and then it's like the mind takes off. So it's the minute the mind you know, names it and creates the perception, that's when the mind takes off and then it can go into anything, but it's just that's when the story starts. So I was wondering, because I mean, obviously that's what we're doing all day long, um, when we're not that aware, we're just going through the motions of life, we're just constantly creating these perceptions and reacting to them. So I was wondering if you could speak to like how to, I mean, obviously in meditation, how to deal with that point between where the object arises and the perceptual kind of proliferation starts. But also, is there a way to use perception skillfully so that you, because you use that tendency to help your practice? Well, I, I, trust your awareness, mindfulness, and then and, and, and observe. Uh, you know, you start proliferating. 
and and observe it in this way of letting it be what it is. But as you you know, as you accept it for what it is, it will cease. And there's the stillness, the silence. You know, every condition takes you to ultimate reality if you let it. If you're trying to stop thinking out of an act of will, personal willpower, it won't work. But if you trust your awareness, then it's getting more subtle, like what your point, point is quite subtle. That point where you're aware of the birds, just aware and you're not attached or judging or praising or criticizing anything. And then the mind starts, you can be aware of that and, and, and accept that that kind of movement and it'll vanish and more and more as you trust your awareness like this then you know as it gets more subtle you get subtle movements of mind emotion and that you become more increasingly more skillful about even subtleties till you're letting go of everything Where the sub subtleties of of self or delusion are, are, are seen, you know, and accepted. But in that acceptance, you're actually letting, you're not trying to get rid of them, you're not judging them, you're not saying they're yours, they are what they are, and they take you to peace. The natural consciousness is peaceful. And as you trust, as you recognize peacefulness, <coughs> it doesn't, isn't dependent upon conditions, then that's the path to cultivate, <coughs> to trust that. And then, you know, you, some days your, your mood will be positive or negative or gloomy or whatever. But, and so that, then we, you know, we, we understand the words and so forth, but then we get caught in doubt about our, am I really practicing, is this ultimate reality or, you know, but that's another state of mind, you know, to observe. Be the, be the puto, the, the knower of conditions, what arises and ceases, rather than, the, than letting the conditions take you over and become a doubter, uncertain of yourself. And you, you know, because doubt is, uh, is always a, an attachment to thinking. So, you know, you go through this, sometimes you doubt, you know, am I really, you know, is, this really, uh, you know, sometimes the mood is quite gloomy or negative. And uh, then the ego, you know, you don't want to overestimate yourself or, or uh, you know, you're afraid of inflating your ego and things like that. So you get caught in doubt, but doubt is always a result of attachment to thinking. Where in pure awareness there's no thought, when thought arises and ceases, you know, then, then you're observing, you're observing thought rather than becoming a thinker. You're the knower. Thought is a condition arising and ceasing. That that knowing is pure. The thought, you know, can be good thought or bad thought. But it is a, only a sankara. It's only a condition. And your body is only a condition, you know. So you, you know, we we want to, you know, this is a, a materialist society you're living in, where you know what you look like and so forth is given so much importance, and uh, what age you are, whether you're male or female, is these are strong identities you know, that you fight over or get offended by or make judgments by a, 
how you look or how other people look. And that's all, sending a consciousness, you know, you see somebody and then you start proliferating about them. But what, your, your real refuge, the only refuge is it's your awareness. So you're going in the right direction. Let's <laughs> encourage you. Trust the awareness. I can't hear it. About Metabarana, could you say something more about Metabarana? When I try to do, my mind is focusing first on myself, as they say, and then when I think of other people who are close to me, or there, sometimes my mind gets carried away with emotion. So when you come back to Metabarana, you say, how do you do that? And I know. Well, ultimately, metta is is uh, love, you know. So it it but love unconditional love. It's not love based on if you agree with me, I love you. But if you don't, I don't love you anymore. That's <laughs> unconditional, and that's awareness itself. Like when you start towards yourself, you know, so you, it's not about loving your body or loving yourself as a person, but accepting the way you are. The body's like this, it, uh, memories arise, pleasant ones, unpleasant ones, and you're kind of allowing them, you know, having this acceptance of them. Metta is unconditioned, so it it isn't making judgments about, even if you have bad thoughts or bad memories, you know, you're allowing them to be what they are. That's metta, towards yourself. And then from there, you know, we can we begin to have this sense of well-being, because we're not discriminating and preferring one thing over another. So then we spread metta externally to to others, to people we like, people we don't like, but it's it's no longer about liking or disliking. It's unconditioned love. But it starts here. You, so many people, you know, find it easier than I used to say. Sometimes it's easy to spread metta to Two billion Chinese you don't know than the monk sitting next to you. <laughs> you know, because two billion Chinese you don't know aren't any immediate, you know, more or less an abstract idea. No. <clears throat> but people then feel they, they feel guilty if they hate somebody. You know, so you're spreading metta, and then you think of somebody who has really offended you, and you feel aversion and hatred. And then you feel guilty because you're supposed to have unconditioned love. That's not metta anymore. Metta is even having metta for hatred. Doesn't mean approving of it, but hatred arises and ceases. You know, so even your aversion. And there's a case in England, for example, <coughs> there used to be a monk who was very good at teaching metta retreats at Amravati. And, uh, you know, so, and there was one woman that came to me one day during this metta retreat, English woman, very upset because Every time the monk said, now spread metta to your mother, she felt aversion and angry. And uh, so she came, you know, she was in de 
she's desperate because, you know, you're supposed to, you know, of all people, you're supposed to love your mother. And every time this monk said, now spend a minute your mother, she, 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 felt, she felt this aversion and anger and resentment. And uh, so I said, but, you know, you have to, you have metta for your aversion, your anger, your hatred. That's what you don't, you're not doing. If the word mother, perception of mother arouses anger and resentment, be aware of that. It is, it's a condition of rising season. Eventually, you know, if you, if you has, have the awareness and acceptance and metaphor, the aversion you have, it will cease. And then you can have metta for your mother. But just, you know, if we, if we try to operate from an ideal, I should love everybody and, and not discriminate. And that's an ideal of metta, you know. But then metta is dealing with the reality of here and now, not about how you'd like to be or you imagine you should be if you were a really mindful, wise person. Uh, you know, this is where we, we, we attach to an ideal and the ideals are high up. And then the reality that we face in the present cannot match up to that beautiful, perfect ideal. But awareness and metta is is metta is a, is really awareness itself. It's it's non-judgmental. And so when when you start a hangsiki to homi or spread metta toward yourself, that isn't just a kind of toward yourself as a physical personality, but you know with your own um, emotional habits or prejudice prejudices, opinions, views, your fears. So awareness and metta, they kind of come together. Metta is just more of a, like a positive take on awareness, like love. And in English, of course, the word love is used for all kinds of things. <laughs> but in Christianity, unconditioned love, where when we think we love something or somebody, it's usually conditioned. So in, in, in Metta, it's like it, just on a positive thinking level, it, it makes you, it's inspiring. It can be inspiring just being, thinking positively about everything. But it's much more profound than that. It's not just positive thinking. It's it's understanding, intuitive understanding, all conditioned phenomena arising and ceases. So even your anger or fear is a phenomena. Is phenomena, you know. So it's a sankara and uh, and metta. No sankaras arise and cease, so they don't create, you know, love or hate towards them. And that's where, you know, the Buddha made it very simple for us. Because phenomena is vast, you know, there's so many things that we like and don't like and love and hate and resent and you know, both internally, what we feel and think and remember, and then externally, you know, like here, what do we, we don't like the, the, the deer flies, the ticks. You know, every right to dislike ticks and deer flies, because they create conditions that are unpleasant, you know, so that's natural. That you say, may all the ticks find happiness and contentment. 
you know, it's positive thinking. But then to be aware that you don't really believe that, you know, you really have to get rid of things. It's like this. And you have metta for that, because that's what is, is in consciousness in the present. about something then you tend to doubt it but if you're aware of doubt doubt is quite empty to not know not be sure so am I right or wrong and then you're you know I'm thinking about being right or wrong but if I'm a you know like in Zen Buddhism they use doubt as a technique for awareness so like the koan you know what? What is the sound of the clap of one hand, or what is my original face before I was born? You know, and then you, you know, it's these are kind of intellectually you can't solve these conundrums, but you can be aware you don't know, and then that is a direct insight to be. You know, because uh, on the individual level, we want to know. We want to have answers to questions, solutions to conundrums. We want to know the answer to the koan. Uh, we want to solve problems. You know, we don't want to, if there's a problem, we want to solve it. If there's a question, we want an answer. Then you can actually use not knowing, because then you're not thinking. If you observe, you know, when when you're doubting, before you start thinking, trying to answer the question or solve the problem, you're still conscious. So that's a way to to recognize a con continuum of consciousness, whether what you're thinking is present or absent. Consciousness is still here and now, and and then uh, you know yourself. The sense of yourself as a personality is all built on memory, on attachment to to the body, what you think you are. You know, you believe in in uh, that you are Canadian, or you, you know that's conventionally true. But is that your real identity? Are you really a woman? Is that your ultimate identity? Or is that another thought, another ad attachment to the physical body? And so you, you know, like internal questioning is also recommended. It's investigating. So, you know, like, um, I had insight in the second noble truth, letting go. Because that's the advice the Buddha gave, to let go of desire. So you, you know, to, to, to let go of desire, you've got to know what desire is. You're not just trying to get rid of it. But you're, you're breaking the attachment to desire. So I say, let him go, let him go, is a kind of mantra. And then I'd ask myself, who's, who's letting go? You know? And uh, oh, then it became more, what, what's letting go? And then there's, you know, so it's like who and what are kind of questions. 
but they're they're used to recognize the absence of I'm letting go or tomatoes letting go you're giving up the, your name and uh, your personal pronouns to being just as pure awareness and letting go is you know you can you begin seeing attachment to desires wanting to know wanting to get something you don't have wanting to get rid of things you have you don't want you you become you you know through investigating you be, you recognize the suffering that you create through this ignorant attachment to desires. Desires are not the problem; it's the ignorance and attachment to them. So that's where you know the Buddha, as I was saying before, you know, nothing is more useful than space and each all conditions are impermanent because that because then you know if we, that means everything's impermanent everything things are impermanent and then because Buddha said space and each all conditions are impermanent I use the thinking mind the intellect said so there's nothing permanent everything's impermanent and then as I developed more uh, became more aware became aware of what I call sound of silence and uh, and it you know it's not really a sound but it's stillness silence that seems to be permanent and I kept thinking, no, it's got to be impermanent. Because the Buddha said everything's impermanent. And so then I, <laughs> I began to see that, that, that silence and consciousness is not a thing. It's not a sankara. And Lumpur Cha was always saying, you know, uh, be the knower, be the knowing rather than the knower Be, you know don't one sankara can't know another sankara you can't as a san, you know sankara know another sankara it's conscious it's awareness that we can be aware of sankaras as changing conditions as, as just sankaras arising ceasing because consciousness doesn't arise in seeds. So in uh, another great teacher in Thailand, Lung Phu Dun is pointing to that, that um, you know, that if, you, if you're aware, you know, awareness doesn't, doesn't begin and end the awareness of objects begins and ends and then we go on to another object when we're not when we're not investigating Dhamma when we're not trusting in awareness then we we look at something then we hear a sound we go to that then we look at our iPhone and then we go to the fridge and get something to eat and we switch on the telly uh, you know so from people, ordinary, ignorant people, they're always going from one thing to another. They never know, they're never aware of the, the absence of thought, of feeling, of, of sound, sight, smell, taste, touch. But in not knowing, then there's, there's an absence there that, we, you know, the ignorant person is very uncomfortable with. Because you're, you're not used to silence, you're used to things happening, you know, like excitement, romance, adventure, or things that, you know, worry is an occupation of the thinking mind, worrying about the future, anxiety, what will happen to the planet in the future. What will happen to Canada in the future? You know, it's 
spend all day worrying about climate change and whether Canada's going fascist or socialist, <laughs> becoming better or worse. You know, the mind will go proliferate endlessly about the future or the past. You know, you think of, you know, I did something bad in the past, you feel guilty. You think about somebody uh, treated you badly in the past and you feel resentful. <laughs> and so, you know, thinking about the past right now can lead you to, you know, thinking of the happy moments or the, the un how you were treated unfairly or misunderstood or abused in the past or the future. But now, as I say, now is the knowing. So liberation is always now rather than in the future. So in meditation, you, you know, remind yourself, it's not about becoming enlightened in the future. By being aware, you're actually being enlightened now. You're seeing clearly the way things are. All conditions, all sankaras are impermanent. Even at first, if it's intellectual, it will take you to, to intuitive uh, understanding, to insight. Dhamma is not personal. So consciousness is, is not personal. And so, you know, I find that you know, when I had the insight into anatta, non-self, it's like a relief. Being a person is a, is, is a burden because you're self-conscious, you're you worry whether people like you or don't like you. You, you, you know, you're, you've got views and opinions and memories and identities and preferences. And, you know, you're complicated. Personality is a very complicated thing. But in non-person, anatta's liberation. It's simple. It's freedom. Whereas a person, you're not free. You're, a personality is always a collection of habits that you're, you know, thinking habits of memories and uh, projections into the future. So doubt is, you know, like the there's this uh, the ten fetters. There's the four stages, the stream-enterer, once-returner, non-returner, arahant, and then there's ten fetters called sanyojanas in Pali. And the first three fetters are what blocks us from seeing the path of stream-entry. Or like stream-entry is when you have the insight into the path, into pure consciousness. But things that, that prevent us from observe, knowing that are the ego, Sakya Ditti is the first one, the identity you have with your body, your personality, what you think, your memories. Sila Patabaramasa is the second one that's attachment, ignorant attachment to conventions, cultural conditioning, views and opinion. And the third one is Wichikita, translates as doubt. And yet the third one, because that's dependent on thinking, on language. So, so you know, and if you observe the spaces between <coughs> thoughts, you know, I spent hours meditating on the spaces between thoughts. Because one thought arises and ceases, like just the pronoun I, one single letter in English. <laughs> and, you know, and it has a highly personal I, you know, Ajahn Tomato. It has this, you know, identifying with with 
your conventional form, I, and you intentionally think it, and stop, don't go to am, just stop with I, and it, I just vanishes into conscious awareness. Don't try to think about it, but just, just experiment with that. And then am is the same thing. I am a human being, you know, it's a matter of fact statement. So you're not really interested in the content, you know, you're not questioning whether you're a human being or not, just, just a, a perfunctory statement that, that you identify with. But you're examining, you're investigating, especially the pronoun I, because it's, in English it works very well because it's just one letter. And then there's a gap. But we tend to, you know, like the thinking process is I am. And so, you know, you go on in, into the sentence, into grammatical forms, which are habits that you've acquired after birth. But all these three fetters are acquired knowledge after birth. They're not you know, like animals don't think, they don't have a, uh, you know, they don't have languages that they develop, like English or Singola or Thai, <laughs> French, or, and they're all, you know, they're different languages, but they're, they're created by human beings. And so we, we become, we're so habitually, habituated to thinking that I recommend being aware when not thinking, when you're aware that there's no thought, and and that you have to intentionally think. If you're just trying to stop thinking as an act of will, it won't work. But in, with this intentional thinking, like listening, you're not trying to investigate I as as you know form opinions about the the word itself. It's just a habit, you know you. If you're an English speaker, you think I, but you're aware, and it, the th the thought goes very quickly, immediately, and what's left, is, you know. And then you be aware of that. What's the, what remains after the the pronoun I is ceased, and you become more aware of the gaps between and consciousness without thought. 